going to be talking from Daniel 9 today. Um, it's a fantastic passage. I said that we were going to try and avoid the last chapters of Daniel because it was full of uh, confusing and difficult things to understand, but actually it's the power of God who speaks in and owns all of eternity. What I want you to do, what I want you to walk out of here knowing is that God is alive, that God is a God who speaks, that God is a God who controls time and eternity. He controls seasons and dates and moments. If you leave here knowing that, that's a good thing. If you're secure in that, that's a good thing. That's where we're going. So Daniel 9 is an amazing chapter. I'm going to start just by reading it. Not all of it. Really long. Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarius, I guess, by descent of Amid, who was making king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the, of the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass to the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Is there anyone in here who's 80 or above? Daniel in this chapter is 80, or maybe older than 80. I just wanted to, the first thing I wanted to say was, I've spoken to so many people in their 50s who've kind of fallen out of work or don't kind of, kind of got a bit lost on the journey and kind of like, what is going on? Life's over, life is finished, what's, this is boring. Like, Daniel's in his 80s here. And Daniel is living for God's kingdom in a really mighty way. And I just wanted to start by saying, if you are 80 or 50 or 60 or 70, God has amazing plans for you. Incredible plans for you. He's ordained your days and he holds your future in his hands. He has plans and purposes beyond what you can dream or imagine. Just partner with him. Join in with what Daniel says. Anuja, he has plans and purposes for you still to come. Press into God. Press into him. Don't get lost in this whole thing of, oh, I'm 50. I think we're going to have, there's times in society, in fact, don't just for you, but for people around you. Because I hear it all the time when I'm talking to people. uh, 50-year-olds who have lost their jobs, uh, and they kind of don't know what's going to happen next. And they don't know, and and they're just thinking, oh, you know, I'm done. I'm just going to do nothing now. It's like, no, the Lord has plans and purposes. What's Daniel doing here? We catch Daniel in his quiet time. And he's reading the book of Jeremiah. The book of of scripture that we have, Jeremiah. My first question is, or second question maybe, what's our relationship to the word of God? To the word of God that we hold in our hands. What's our relationship to it? Is it a book that speaks into our lives? Is it a book that we take hold of the promises in? Is it a book that we know is the word of the living God? What's our relationship to this book? When we open it up and we read in the mornings and we we have our nice little coffee and we're drinking and, and we're reading, what's your relationship to the word? What are you expecting as you open the word of God? Are you expecting to hear the voice of the living God? These are his words, spoken and written for us to hear his voice. 
Daniel knew that. So he's there and he's got Jeremiah open. And he's reading and it says this and it says, Jeremiah 25, it says that, that Nebuchadnezzar will come. And he will. He, he is my servant. That's what it says. The Lord says Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Let's leave that there, park that for a moment. But he comes and he, he will come and he will destroy Jerusalem. And he will take you into captivity. But he will do that for 70 years. And then after 70 years, I will restore and bring you back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah's reading it. Uh, so Daniel's reading this. Uh, and that's what he's reading. And he, and he goes into uh, Jeremiah 29 where it goes, Do you know, I will bring you back to Jerusalem. I will bring you back to this place because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But Daniel stood there. Or maybe he's that. And he's reading this word. And he's thinking, oh, it's nearly 70 years since we've been taken into captivity. It's nearly 70 years. That time is nearly up. And he's reading the word of God. He says, this is the word of the Lord. So he says, this is the living God who's spoken. It's written down and I'm reading it in front of me. This 70 years is up. But he's looking around and he's seeing nothing happening. He's seeing no change. He's seeing uh, another empire raising up to become powerful. And, and he's like, what? God, this is your promise. And in those moments, and I was, sat, I was on my knees before, in one of those moments, we have options. I was on my knees thinking about four or five things that have happened this week which I have absolutely no control over. <laughs> but I'm longing to see the breakthrough in and I've got no power to make it happen in my own strength. I know the Holy Spirit lives in me. I, don't hear me wrong. In my own ability, I have no power to make that come to pass. And I'm just looking around and thinking, could it happen? Would it happen? Should it happen? We have options in those moments. Do we read the word of God and take it as truth? Do we take it as the living God speaking into our heart and so apply it and move into it? Or do we go, ah, oh, this is junk. <laughs> Get rid of that. Or do we just kind of slowly drift away from reading our scripture because it's like I'm not quite seeing the, the promises fulfilled that I'm believing. Our response should be the response that has. And it says in the next verse, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servant, the prophets, we spoke in your, who spoke in your name to the kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of our land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. And then it, it goes on and on in, in, in the same way. And at the end it goes, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention. O Lord, act. Delay not. For your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Just 
Our response should be to believe that the living God didn't just speak through this. But he speaks today. He's alive today. He's active today. And we should be people who get down on our knees when these situations we can't control or we can't bring about. We need to be getting down on our knees. We need to be fasting and praying and pressing into the, to the word of God. We need to be listening and praying for it to, to come to fruition. We need to be saying, God, you have said this. God, I believe it. God, bring it about. God, bring it in. God, in your power, in your mercy, in your power, Lord, just reign in this place. Bring freedom, Lord Jesus. We have to be people who know who God is. This chapter is a, a really interesting chapter because we get to learn how Daniel saw who God was. We get to see how he related to who God is. He, gets to, uh, he reveals something of the character of God through this chapter. He says, you are the God of covenant. Steadfast love. And, and what he's doing is he's, he's worshipping the Lord God in the midst of a situation. He's saying, Lord God, you are the God of covenant. You have promised. You have made these promises to your people. You have said, we are your people and you are our God. You have said that. That's who you have said you are. In this chapter, Daniel um, is the only time in Daniel that it's recorded that Daniel uses the word Yahweh or the title Yahweh for God. Yahweh is the covenant name for God. And he says it seven times in this chapter. And he's relating it back to the fact that, God, you have made promises to Abraham. You have made promises to Moses. You have made promises again and again. God, you are the promise keeper. You are faithful to your word. That's what you say. You are faithful to your word. God, this is who you are. This is the God I serve. You are the one God, the true God, the mighty God, the only God. No other God compares to you. You are Yahweh. But it's, it's not an accusation, it's a, it's a worshipful, Lord, this is who you are. <laughs> You're the God who's acted in the past, and he talks about Moses in the prayer. And Lord, we know the story of you saving the Israelites out of, Mo, out of the uh, Pharaoh's hand. Lord, we know that. We know that you're active in this world. We know that. God, that is who you are. You are Yahweh, the mighty one. So he worships and he, he repents as well. And he confesses and he confesses his sins and he confesses the sins of the people and he, and he gives that to the Lord. And there was a movement a few years ago where people kept asking me, oh, do you know, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by faith, I'm saved by the cross. Do I need to say sorry anymore? Uh, I'm forgiven anyway. Yes, you need to repent. <laughs> you need to live in a place of confession. You need to live in a place, it's a relationship that you have with the living God. Imagine a relationship where you never said sorry. <laughs> you have a living example. <laughs> Sorry to Maddie later as well. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that this mixture of humility, the, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and at the right time he will exalt you. That's what it says in Peter. We live in this humble place. A hu- humility is key because under the mighty hand of the Yahweh, the Lord, the God who spoke all things into motion, the God who created everything you see, the God who knows the detail, the God who created the beauty around you, the God who is in charge, the God who sits on his throne, the God who's in heaven now being worshipped by thousands upon thousands, millions of angels, the one who all the saints of all history will gather round and lift high. That is the Lord we serve. Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to sing his name. We love to sing your name, Yahweh. We have to be a people who out of the reading of the word, we believe the word and press into the word through prayer. And it's not in the word, it's not in the word that we have salvation. It is in the living God we have salvation. There are Jewish leaders that Jesus was talking to in John 5. And the Jewish leaders were accused by Jesus of reading the word of God and rejecting what it said because the word of God points to Jesus and they were rejecting Jesus. The word of God, we do not have salvation in the word of God. We have salvation in the living God who speaks through the word of God and brings life and salvation and hope. We have to have that relationship with the word where the word is alive and active and as we read it, we press in in prayer because it's true and it's the living God's voice. Who knew that Gabriel's not just for Christmas? Gabriel comes. As Daniel is praying, Gabriel is one of the lead angels, and it says in Luke 1 that he stands in the presence of God day and night. That's who Gabriel is. An angel, angel means messenger, so an angel is sent down with a message. Do we expect God to speak as we pray? Do we expect God to meet with us as we pray? Do we expect God's voice to speak in? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the sheep know my voice. Do we hear his voice speaking in? Do we expect his voice? Do we expect angels to come as we speak to God? with messengers, with messages of the future. We are a prophetic people that God speaks to. And the first thing that the angel says is, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Daniel, you are greatly loved. I just want to affirm that in you. You are greatly loved by God. You are greatly loved. He affirms identity. He he puts your identity in place. Your identity is in the love of God, the living God, the Yahweh. And then, then he gives one of the most incredible prophecies in the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, And I'm not very good at maths. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to read the prophecy, and then I'm going to say the simple outline of what it kind of probably means. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and the holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, 
and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, 62 weeks, it shall be built again, with squares and moats and in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and the end shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and, sh and he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week, for one week. And for half of the weeks he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on, on the wing of an abomination shall come one who makes desolate until decreed an end is poured out on the desolator. Do you get it? Everyone understand it? Can I tell you the basics of this? And there's been a lot of thinking about this. There's a lot of different theories. There's been a lot of different details. So you can read a lot. Basically, 70 weeks. Weeks in the Hebrew is sevens. That's what it is. So the word weeks, translated here, is sevens. And in some translations, it says sevens. So it's believed that by scholars that 70 weeks or 70 sevens are a period of 77 years which equals 490. So 70 times 7 years. Yeah. I told you I'm not a mathematician. 490. Yeah. You're correct. You get it? Yeah. I am correct. Yeah. <laughs> the basics of this prophecy is in roughly 500 years, an anointed one, or in the NIV, or in the King James, the Messiah will come. That's what it's saying, this chapter here. This is what Gabriel's revealing to Daniel. In 500 years, a Messiah will come. And the Messiah will bring an end to sin and to death. That's the basics of what happens here. And then it goes on to talk about other things, about end times, about, and there's lots of theory. But the thing I want to pull out of this... Daniel's pressing in, in the word of God, for these 70 years. And what God comes in, the living God comes in and says, I've got a bigger plan than what I've let Jeremiah know. And in 500 years time, I am going to send the Messiah. And the Messiah will bring an end to sin and to death. The Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus came 500 years later. Or 490, or I don't think I've done the mass right. I'm looking at Tim again, but I'm not going to go there. But the time frame works on this. For this, the point, exact timing to Jesus coming in AD 30. God knows the times and seasons. God has ordained the times and seasons. God is in control of the days and weeks and months and seasons that we live in. He has a plan. It says in Revelation 7 that Jesus is able to take the seals off the scroll, the scroll which is the plan for the whole world and the, the ongoing, and he's the one able to roll it out. The anointed one, Yahweh, is in control of all times and seasons. And he said this, that I am going to make 
a new covenant with you. You are going to live in a different relationship through the Messiah. It's an incredible word. If you capture it and think about it, God is saying, I am going to come at the right time, in the right season, I am going to come as Messiah, as Saviour, as the one who will die on the cross. It says that he will die or his time will come to an end. He will die on a cross. He will be cut off. Why? To create a new covenant, a new relationship with the people. Because the old covenant, we were no longer able to hold up because we couldn't obey every word in the old covenant. In the new covenant, the new promises, the promises which are better by far than the old covenant, the promises which are better, the promises made in the blood of Jesus, the promise that Jesus would come as a Messiah, as a Saviour, he would die on a cross, he would shed his blood for us, and he would take away the power of sin and death in our life. The promise that we would be adopted as sons and daughters by our Father in heaven because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Not by works that I did, but by the works that Jesus did on the cross. The promise that the Holy Spirit would be able to come and live in all man who accept Jesus as Lord. The promise. We live in a place where the God of all the universe, Yahweh, makes promises and keeps promises. Fulfills his promises century after century after century, generation after generation after generation. I want to um, I want to land in in taking communion. Because sometimes I think we can get drawn to to performance. Sometimes we can get drawn to wanting to be impressed. Sometimes we can get drawn to, to anything else, to any distraction. What Duncan was sharing, we can be distracted. This is the communion, the, the cup of the covenant is what Jesus calls it. And I think we need to be making much of communion in this moment. We need to be taking communion regularly. We need to be taking it together to remember the promises of God, to remember his covenant with us, his new covenant, his blood shed for us, his body broken for us, his victory brought on that cross. We need to be slowing down enough to be taking communion regularly, to be taking bread and wine, because this is where God has met with us. This is where God has brought you. This is where God has brought salvation to you. By his blood, by his body. I want to encourage you to, to come and to get some communion. But then to take it back to your seats and to just get in little groups around you and just to pray, to thank Jesus that he controls time and eternity, that he controls situations. Worship him that he's won the victory. Worship him that he reigns. Worship him that he's given you a new identity, a son or a daughter in Jesus. Worship that he holds your future. Worship that he holds the future of this whole world in the power of his words. Worship that he's a God that speaks in. But just take a moment 
to take communion together as a family, to gather in. I, I encourage you now to just come and get your communion and then just gather around in little groups and worship Jesus' name.